0: Good morning, beautiful people. I am Nube Brown, your host of Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. We are going to spend the rest of the hour with Jaleel Muntakim. He is a former Black Panther Party member as well as a BLA member, and he is the author of We Are Our Own Liberators. All right. Get ready for uh, getting your world rocked with some beautiful wisdom from Jaleel Muntakim.
1: All right. Beautiful people. Um, I want to thank you for joining me this morning. I have with me Jaleel Muntakim. He is a former member of the Black Panther Party and Black Liberation Army and co-founder of the National Jericho Amnesty Movement. He is also the author of We Are Our Own Liberators. And don't think you can get it, people, right now. Um, this is a hot commodity. But if you ever can get this, We Are Our Own Liberators, pick it up immediately. He's also the author of Escape the Prism, Fade to Black. And Jaleel was released from prison in October of 2020, after being held captive nearly 50 years. Jaliel, I want to thank you for joining me here this morning. You're welcome, sis. All right, fantastic. So, listen, I kind of want to start with um, you are considered a political prisoner, is that correct? Or you were considered correct. a political prisoner?
2: I, I was, yes, I was.
1: Okay, I would love for you to uh, kind of unpack what does it mean to be a political prisoner, considering the fact that, as 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 well known as Mumia Abu Jamal is, there's still a lot of people that don't know who he is and and what it really means to be a political prisoner in this country.
2: Well, of course, the United States does not recognize the existence of political prisoners. They uh, they under impression that no one uh, there are no no dissenters. In the United States, in regards to the issues of white supremacy or capitalist imperialism, and therefore anyone who responds to those issues, uh, particularly in regards to the issues of police murdering or, or state terror, state-sponsored terrorism, often often uh, they are uh, charged with a criminal offense, and therefore they subject to the the processes of the uh, so-called uh, justice system, and by virtue of that alone, uh, they are considered criminals rather than what is their uh, uh, basic uh, reasons for a, having been engaged, uh, uh, state, uh, political reasons, and so the United States does not give credence or uh, credibility to the existence that there are dissenters or individuals who uh, essentially fight back, uh, and by virtue of their own ideals of uh, opposing the system of uh, racism and capitalist imperialism, and by and, and therefore uh, they are denied the recognition of uh, as being political prisoners. But, of course, you know, like in the other country in the world, uh, most other countries in the world, uh, there are, there are, in fact, political prisoners, those who resist, those who are, are dissenters. And so the same is true here for the United States. Uh, so um, <clears throat> I was a member of the Black Panther Party. I'm a member of the Black Liberation Army. And as a result of my activities, uh, I was convicted of, uh, of criminal offenses. Uh, but my motivation, of course, was politically uh or, or, or was political. And as a result of my activities, uh, I became a target uh, under a Pro type organization or type of operation from the FBI called New Kill, New York Killings. And as a result of that, I spent nearly 50 years in prison. Uh, so in those instances, that understanding, uh, I was in fact a political prisoner. Okay. Um, and
1: then... I wanted to ask you so there's a little there's a, a piece of news that's in the Guardian and the Guardian has, has, has done quite a few pieces on um on all the the black panthers uh or former black Panthers that were uh caged by the system um due to clientele pros you mentioned um but they just did recently a a story about you know that the the I think he's 17, 16-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse, Uh, that 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 uh, that young wannabe cop that uh, killed the BLM activists and basically just walked away. He is now being um, uh, funded by the police and other right wing organizations. Do you have anything to say about that? Because here,
2: I I can't. Your your phone is breaking up. I cannot hear you uh, too well. you said something about one what person. What's the person's name again?
1: Kyle Rittenhouse.
2: No, I'm not familiar with his case. I can't speak on it. I'm not familiar with his case.
1: Oh, Okay. Well, the interesting thing about it, and, and maybe you can just make a comment just in general, because uh-huh. you were at 18 years old, right? You were fighting the the system as a Black Panther. You were, you were then arrested under this COINTEL program as an 18 year old is that right
2: No I was 19 he was arrested
1: Okay 19 serious so teenager This yep. kid is um 16 years old uh went out uh during a uh Black Lives Matter protest killed two uh protesters uh walked away basically from it he was about to kill somebody else they walked away from it he has been uh he has been arrested and now he is being um funded by uh, by the police and other right-wing oh, this organizations. Is a,
2: this is a, are you talking about this white kid that was up in, uh, I think it was up in uh, Oregon? Uh, Oregon? Yes, yeah,
1: yeah. I think it was yeah, I think it's yeah, in Oregon,
2: yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm familiar with the case. I understand what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. Do you have anything to say about that? I mean, we've got now the well, police it just,
2: state. this it just, it just indicates to what degree white supremacy or uh, the, the, the idea of uh, white skin privilege is prevalent in the social order, including, the, including in regards to the criminal justice system. It goes to show the division of this nation in respect to those who are progressive and those who are reactionary, and the response that they have to those uh, those individuals uh, that represent the reactionary faction of this United States. Uh, and it goes to indicate to what degree that this, the, the criminal justice system operates uh, in, in opposition to uh, what is equitable and, and diversity and, and, and equitable uh, uh, operations of uh, support for people of color. or, or of poor people in in general uh we live in a system that's based upon the ideas of uh of uh, individualism uh- individualism and competition uh based upon capitalism and the uh, ideas of of white supremacy and if you don't fit in that mode uh, then naturally the system is not going to function or, 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 or work uh uh working in your behalf uh or in your best interest I uh, says so for this white guy, this white kid uh, who uh, committed this uh, these crimes, um, and uh, was uh, basically uh, not really wanted to be arrested. I think uh, I think they had to go get him at some other place. They took him to uh, took him to some uh, some place uh get a hamburger or something like that.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, they took him to get a hamburger. And said, hey, uh, that doesn't happen in the black community. That doesn't happen in the brown community. That doesn't happen in the Asian community. You know, so uh, that speaks volumes to actually. To, uh, what is really happening in this country.
1: Yes, it, it really does, and it's frightening to, to me to think about. I mean, they are literally they are literally funding their youth to become killers.
2: I mean, that's not unusual. That's the nature of this country. That's how this country came into existence. You know, one thing is that, unfortunately, many of us have uh, have short memory, you know we, we don't know to adhere to, to history uh, to to any large degree, or look at how history has created conditions by which they are prevalent today or where, where they have impact uh, on what is going on today. But this history is based upon violence, and this, the history of this country is based upon violence. They start off with, with violence kills all the violence against the genocide of Native Americans. They start off with violence with the inhumanity of imprisonment enslavement of, of, of African people. You know, the capturing and 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 torturing and, and transporting African people to this country uh, for for enslavement and profiting off people's bodies. You know, this country is based upon uh, this kind of violence. Even if you just look at the history of, of wars that this country has been in, uh, from the uh, the war against the British, uh, 1776, uh, the war of 1812, uh, the war, of the Panama Wars, the you know Teddy Roosevelt in Cuba and. And, and et cetera. You know, this there hasn't uh a consistent uh, uh years of, of engagement, uh of violent engagement uh in the history of this country. And so by looking at it from what, in terms of both internally and externally, uh, uh this country has always been subject to the ideas of uh, that uh, might is right. And as a result of that uh many often or more often than not people of color are one who has suffered. Uh, as a result of that. So uh, why be surprised when we look at the history of this country that they continue to engage in the same practices that was the, the very origin of its existence?
1: Indeed. And then, of course, thinking about prisons and the fact that if you oh, – well, then I, of course, want to move into the fact that there is still uh, legal slavery which seems to be, in my mind, taking place within our prisons. If the, the exception clause of the 13th Amendment says that if you are convicted of a crime, you become a slave of the state, state, and we now have two million plus people in prisons, including our hundreds and hundreds of political prisoners. Um, Mumia Abu Jamal right now is being uh, shackled to the bed while he was awaiting heart surgery, and, and he was not able to communicate with his uh, with his people on the outside to give them some peace of mind. And himself before he was going into this surgery, of course, being subjected to possible death because they don't want him to get out. They want him to die in in prison. Do you have anything to say about the Thirteenth Amendment deception clause?
2: Well, deception clause, yeah. Uh, at one time, I, I tried uh, some years ago, back in I think in late 70s, I tried I filed a lawsuit uh, trying to have the uh, deception clause removed from the United States Constitution. I even filed a petition to the United Nations uh, to to that end, to that result. But, of course, you know, without a a major campaign uh, that would include the necessity for uh, an amendment to the Constitution uh, being ratified by the 50 states, uh, then it's very difficult uh, to get that out of the Constitution, the accession Clause. I understand there is a bill uh, pending in uh, Congress. Now we're trying to get that exception clause removed from the Constitution, but essentially it was necessary you have to have a national, a national determination, a national movement that raises the issues that, that slavery has never been abolished in this country, that was institutionalized into the penal system. And when we come to that understanding that they continue to reap profits uh, from people's misery, from the exploitation of uh, people who have been incarcerated, uh, then we have to understand that there's a necessity and essentially for people in general to raise their own question as to what kind of system that we now continue to live with. One of the things that I have raised in the matter of challenging the system, is particularly the, the, uh, the criminal justice system and the prison industrial complex, was that we need to engage on, on two levels. One, accountability. We have to enforce, enforce uh, uh, that the prison industrial complex uh, do what it claims it's supposed to do, and that is rehabilitate. Uh so one way to so we can do that is ensure that the product, the end product of this industry is better or improved than it was when it went inside the industry. Uh uh and more often than not we want what we are talking about is quality controls, right? I uh, that the end product the person coming out of prison uh has the capacity to be an asset to the community rather than a continual liability. We want to end the results of recidivism. Uh, uh the, the, the also the school the school the prison pipeline we want to end that results. So if they were sending people to prison at the rate, 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 rate that they are, they want to ensure that the end product are individuals who can be a contributing factor to a social order. That means they need to have college programs inside prison across the board. need to have vocational programs inside prisons across the board. And those vocational programs should be locked to a link with a union outside. So when a person gets out of prison, he has a union representative right there to meet them uh, and, and introduce them into the workforce or into the, into the workforce uh, but as union representatives, and of course, they don't want anything like that to happen because that means that people will not be coming back to prison. Uh, they will have competition in the workforce. guys to go, go to the penitentiary, become educated, become trained, become skilled, and uh, they'll be the end product of coming out. so that's one way to balance the system uh, and ensure that the end product coming out. Is one that a person will not go back to prison again, or at least have the least opportunity, at least uh, incentive to go back to prison again. The second part is BDS, uh, uh, boycott, um, boycott, divest, and sanctions, right? Because of this big business, then we want to withdraw money from that business, all right? So we want to develop a national campaign to boycott prisons, uh, to ask corporations who have invested prisons to divest, on the prison system, and also to create sanctions, that we will sanction those corporations uh, who have zero on any kind of business inside the prison system in the United States. And if we were to do so, and deal with the issues of the monetary uh, incentive for creating and building prisons, then we would really have to create a kind of movement that would often, in my thinking, uh, create condition for uh, the abolition, or we call the abolishment of prisons. So we need to be developing a new means for which we uh, talk about uh, abolitionist or an abolitionist movement uh, that essentially uh, uh, creates conditions by which we take the incentive out of being uh, out, of, out of the prison industrial complex one, and we ensure that the byproduct, the, the product is of this this in- industry is one that is perfected uh, to the extent where we know for the most part, and I mean by perfection, of course, I mean by the most part. That they will not be going back to prison again. They have become skilled individuals, educated individuals. People should come out of the penitentiary with college degrees and or certificates in, uh, in, in journalism or, or, or apprentices in various uh, uh, skilled programs, carpentry, uh, masonry, uh, um, um, every, every other kind of industry uh, that, uh, that they create in prisons, that they should be an, an equivalent organization, equivalent business in outside, in industry outside. Which which those individuals want once released, they go right into the market, right into the job force, and that way, uh, prisoners uh, serve the purpose that it's, it's allegedly supposed to work for, but it does not.
1: Okay, so with that in mind, of course, I have to ask you um, about and, and in terms of your book, we are our own liberators, which I am still reading and grasping and. Um, Educating myself with, and just uh, for full disclosure, folks, um, I am taking a class uh, that uh, that uh, Jaleel Muntakim is uh, instructing and heading. Um, we are reading his book uh, called "We Are Our Own Liberators," and I wanted to ask you about these these industries that you're talking about um, in relation to having those things available for people. So that they actually don't go into prisons. So that all of these, you know, the educational programs and um, and all the basic human needs that people have, you know, housing, education, um, um, whatever, whatever business you want to go into. I mean, you may, uh, you know, your education should be should be full and relevant to your community as well. And what we're doing about creating those systems so that we're not snatching, so we're not creating the school-to-prison pipeline, first of all, or any kind of pipeline to the prison, and also snatching our youth um, into the prisons and then holding them, like you, for almost 50 years, um, which I think is genocidal, and I want to know what you think about that.
2: Well, of course it is genocidal. There's no doubt about it. Anytime that you take a uh, millions of people over a period of time, and hold them in prison at first, of you get them in the young age. 1994, uh, put in a crime bill, uh, created the condition by which individuals of 13 years of old, 13 years of age, can be charged as an adult. Okay, and so let's take that in, into account 13 years of age, a child being charged as an adult and sent to prison for life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's 1994, uh, uh, crime bill, and and since that period of time, then we have uh, millions of people have been sent to prison, many never got out, but nonetheless have been sent to prison at their most vulnerable to live, most productive uh, uh uh age, and held in prison ten, twenty, thirty, forty years. So that means that these people are not reproducing, uh young men, young women not be reproducing. So in the in and of itself, according to the protocols of, of genocide, uh, you are preventing the uh, the production or, or growth rate of a people, right? And just as is in, in in whole or in part, whole or in part, as a crime uh, against humanity, right? And so that is part of the the process by which, for Black people, uh, New African people in the United States, our, our population has not grown beyond 13.5 percent in the last 40, 50 years. Right, So we are confronting not only the issues of being sent to prison at young age and held for long periods of time, but we also state terrorism being murdered in the streets by the police uh, and, and other uh, social morbidity uh, like health care and uh, other uh, issues of uh, infant mortality rate of black people is higher greater than it is for, for white people in this country. And so when we take this a cumulative, a cumulative uh, degree of understanding the mortality rate of black people in this country, we can make that charge of genocide. One thing that I'd like to announce here is that the uh, Jericho Movement, National Jericho Movement, and then, uh, the Northeast uh, Prisoners Coalition, along with various other organizations like uh, 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 Resistance in Brooklyn and various other walk and various other organizations have come together in the coalition, and we're building uh, on October uh uh twenty fourth October twenty second to the twenty fourth, we have international jurors. Uh come to the United States. Uh this is uh, a pro- pro- program that I had put together while I was in prison uh back in twenty eighteen. It's now coming to fruition uh this year. Uh, with, uh the international jurors two thousand twenty one. And uh, you can find it online. You can go to international uh you go to uh uh, uh spiritofmandela.org greatermandela.org, and uh, check it, and you'll find <clears throat> that we are uh, uh, building a, a, a national international international uh, tribunal uh, to bring to the charge of genocide to the international community. Uh, we are commemorating the 70th anniversary of Recharge Genocide uh, that was first put down in 1951 by Paul Robeson and uh, William Patterson. And we feel that the conditions today are uh, no different than they were back in uh, 1951. We still have the same charge. So we charge genocide again. Uh, we again are charging genocide. And we bring this to the attention of the international community. So I ask everyone who's listening here to go to spirit of Mandela, uh, .org, uh endorse the campaign, support the, support the uh, international uh, jurors and uh, uh, effort that we are putting forth and uh, bring the international community in support of uh, our struggle inside the the 3,000 by 2,000 territory, mile territory of the United States.
1: Yes, people, get to spiritofmandela.org and check that out. You definitely want to be involved in that. Thank you uh, for bringing that up. That is definitely one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. So, I, I do want to, uh, you said something about people forgetting their history and I think it's so important. Um, I We have so much respect, deep respect and appreciation for you, Jaleel, um, and you are our elder and I think it's important that uh, we do know our history and our history comes from somewhere and, and, and the learning process, um, the educational process for us is really important. I was wondering if you would be willing to share your evolution in terms of writing that book and being the founder of National Jericho Amnesty Movement. I would love to, if you wouldn't uh, mind sharing some of your evolution. And you also talk about evolutionary. Um, there's there's an evolution to being a revolutionary. Is it something like that? I'm probably really messing that up. But anyway. No, I'm not, no, 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 no,
2: no, no, not going to give that to you. No, you don't that to be this is one of my own issues that I that I've raised, uh, that I continue to raise on the question of uh, what is what is I often often ask the question, uh, what is a revolutionary? What does it mean to being a revolutionary? And I have come to the conclusion that being a revolutionary is being an evolutionary. Right? You take the revolution, you take the word revolution, you take the R off, you have the word evolution. And so revolutionaries are those who are who are engaged in the processes of the evolutionary social, and economic processes of uh, ev- evolving our, our, our struggle, our people from level, one level of development to a, a higher level of development, from a quantitative state of development to a qualitative state of development, and that process is, and most often, not, is revolutionary. And why is it revolutionary? Because we have opposition. Those people who, those institutions and organizations that do not want to change they refuse to change, they are, are maintaining their own uh, privileges. Uh, 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 as, as institutions. And so, therefore, we have to engage them, and the process of engaging them is, is, is revolutionary. But in, in the same regards, it is generational, and uh, because it's from one generation to the next. Uh, when I was a young kid, I believed that we were going to have revolution in our lifetime. I have outgrown that thinking, that infantile thinking, that young man's thinking. Uh, that in, but, in fact, our struggle is one from one generation to the next. And so we have to be involved in our struggle with that kind of understanding, that everything that I commit myself towards today, what I uh, participate in and engage in today, will make it less likely for my children or my children's children have to engage in those same issues, the same arguments and same fights uh, and the same battles. And so, therefore, everyone who is engaged in this struggle, for the most part, are revolutionaries uh, to one degree or another. Because they recognize that we, as a people, as a nation, uh, uh, need to evolve from our level of thinking, our, our, our most, uh, more often now infantile level of thinking, to a higher level of, of thinking in terms of our own humanity and recognize the universality of our humanity. We're not there yet. We got a long ways to go as the people on this planet to recognize our our common humanity uh, across the board. But again, there are systems that inhibit that. That prohibits that kind of development, and so our struggle, as we call it, a revolutionary struggle, is to uh, evolve, uh, evolve to another level of our thinking. Because thinking what? Thinking is proceeds action. How you think is determining factor of how you're going to act. And so, therefore, we have to change our way of thinking, and, uh, and change our thinking to a more humanitarian, more equal, uh, 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 equitable uh, uh, degrees of our understanding of our relationship to one another on this planet. Uh, unfortunately, white supremacy is an aberration. White supremacy is an aberration to all of humanity, right? Uh, anytime that the people think that they are above or superior to anybody else on this planet, then they are suffering from a delusion. They are suffering uh, uh, some neurosis, uh, in my thinking, and uh, this this uh, superiority complex uh, that they are suffering from in mass, right? And unfortunately, we have been uh, uh have been reinforced uh this thing has been reinforced by the institutions that they have created to basically to reinforce this kind of thinking and so this is what we are up against. We're up against the destroying that kind of systems, destroying that kind of thinking and uh and evolving ourselves into our own common and universal humanity. And that is a revolutionary process. oh, you also asked about uh my coming into uh uh, coming into the struggle, well, uh, I'm trying to put as succinctly as I possibly can. I was raised in a household uh, where my my moms uh, 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 taught us that we are African, that we are African descent. We're not Negroes, we're not African Americans, we're not colored people. Uh, we was raised as being in our thinking and our understanding of, of African. The reason why is because as a young woman, she was a, uh, trained in African dance, and so she used to teach that to my sister and I. I were young kids. And so her own cultural development, own cultural understanding, what brought us to our own understanding of growing up. Uh, during high school, I became a member of the Black Student Union, organizing for Black Studies uh, and Black Students, uh, uh, Black Students, uh, uh, Black Student Unions in schools across the country. Uh, not across the country, but in San Jose State, uh, San Jose, uh, uh, California, where I was going uh, to high school at. Uh, I soon thereafter. I ran into some high school friends of mine, uh, elementary school friends of mine who had since joined the Black Panther Party. At the age of 16, I signed up to become a member of the Black Panther Party, recognizing that what the Black Panthers were doing at that time was uh, um, more uh, significant. In my thinking, as a young person, uh, comparison to uh, what was going on in the Civil Rights Movement and Mr. King and that type of uh, passive resistance. I thought that we need to have a more militant approach to the issues that we are confronting in the United States. Uh um uh especially with the with the with the uh the death assassination of Martin Luther King, uh a lot of young people began to think differently as to what our struggle was about. And so I joined the Black Panther Party at age sixteen, became more engaged with the party when I was eighteen, and as a result of the uh, rule number six of the Black Panther Party, I uh, was No Black Panther Party. member joined join any underground organization but the Black Liberation Army. I had been recruited in the Black Liberation Army. was engaged on that level and ultimately led to my imprisonment uh, uh, in 1971, August 28, 1971, led to my incarceration. Uh, and through the course of my incarceration, I continued to be active. I was active in the streets. I was active in prison. And so in 77, I... I uh, 76, I organized the first national uh prisoners newspaper called Army Spirit. I organized the first March into the Washington D C uh, uh to the United Nations, uh demanding uh um to be heard. that had the first petition uh to uh to, to the United Nations on, on issues of political prisoners and the conditions of prisons uh um in the United States or submitted to the United Nations uh Continue to organize over the years, uh, signing uh, petitions, uh, filing uh, petitions in the court. Uh, like I told you before, the 13th Amendment lawsuit that I was filed. I filed a, 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 a lawsuit for trying to get women prisoners' right to vote. Um, and uh, then, in uh, I think in '98, I uh, called for the Jericho Movement, uh, building a Jericho Movement, another campaign, national campaign. Uh, and it resulted in the building of uh, the Jer- National Jericho Movement, which I was a co-founder, along with my beloved dear sister, Sophia Bocari, who is now with the ancestors, and also uh, Bob Herman Ferguson. I was also with the ancestors. So I'm the last founding member of the Jericho Movement, and we continue to build. Jericho is the premier political prison support group in the United States. That has been in existence going on 21 years and still is going strong. And as I said, uh, on October uh, we will be called. we have called the international jurors to the United States, uh, so we can bring the charges of genocide uh, as part of our campaign. in support of political prison in the United States, as well as other issues, uh, we are representing. We will also have representatives for the indigenous community, uh, our Asian community, uh, our, our, our Latinx community, uh, as well as the African community, uh, bringing these charges of genocide and bringing our issues to to the international community uh so that's part of you know of my um my evolutionary process as being a revolutionary
1: well Al, thank you so much for um for all of that work that you did and being able to share it with us it's 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 so valuable again um you know just personally i mean uh it's rocking my world that's for sure um when did you start writing we are our own Liberators?
2: oh uh the book the first huh, you know the first time i wrote- I, I wrote this book i started writing this book was in nineteen seventy nine uh and what was called at that time was um uh, foration of North America it was a book a pamphlet that put together that uh, i just got um, um yeah i just got released from uh, california prison and was extradited back to uh, to new York. Uh, to uh, stand uh, to be a sort of a sentence uh, that I was convicted of in 1975 in New York. <clears throat> and so I was writing, and I put together a compilation of some of my writings uh, in the booklet called uh, um, uh, For Liberation of North America. And, uh, and over the years, I uh, continued to write, and I decided to put a, a bigger compilation together. And so in um, uh, 2000, I think it was, I put this book together called We Are Own Liberators. And um uh, the first yeah, the first edition was first printing of the book was in uh uh two thousand and then it was uh again printed, uh republished in two thousand ten. And it is it is uh I am honored uh, to see that what I wrote back in twenty one years ago it, it resonates today that uh, many people, particularly young people today, are now uh, finding out about the book and recognizing there's some jewels in it uh, by which they can um, uh, implement today. Uh, there's, a, you might think In my opinion, the book is a manual. It's a how-to manual in regards okay. to the uh, overall struggle. And if people were to adhere to the principles laid out in this book, I think that it, it, will, it will reinforce some of the goals and objectives that we're trying to achieve. You know, in terms of changing the social order from which we are now being oppressed by. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, the book is out of print. I'm trying to figure out some new ways to hopefully get it re, uh, back into print again. Um think about doing that, doing that myself. Uh, but it's, it's gonna be a process. But yeah, uh, I, I am more than pleased. I'm excited, elated to find that this book is resonating with, uh, people who are out there engaged in struggle today.
1: That's yes, me too and to see all the young people on um on these uh these class these calls uh in the class is is, is very very inspiring um i well, I'm to grateful,
2: i'm grateful to the Boston uh, Jericho chapter who uh put these classes together after i was released in uh, uh october of 2020 um um almost 50 years almost 50 years in prison I uh, got the, the, the Jericho chapter of Boston uh, put together a uh, uh, class uh, for me for people to to register uh, for the class, and so I can teach uh, from my book. Uh, I'm very grateful for Jericho Boston for setting that up. And I'm uh, actually I'm surprised to see how many people had joined up for the class. Uh, to <laughs> the point, I had to have two classes. I had two classes on Tuesdays and a Thursday, evening. and and not only really that, but the class was supposed to be for an hour and a half. Um, The students said they went for two hours. I said, whoa. Okay, so I see they were into it, and uh, so I'm grateful to the young people who who joined this class. I sincerely hope that they have learned something from it. Uh, We have our last class uh, tonight and uh, Thursday for this session, and I hope that that they all have received something from it, uh, gratifying and supportive of their own activism.
1: I, I can't imagine otherwise, but of course I can only speak for myself and like I said, I'm, I'm getting my world rocked. It is it is fantastic. I'm not one of the young ones. I'm fifty six, so I'm somewhere in the middle. But um there's a passage here that I wanna read that um I, I just I just love this. Um if you don't mind, I just wanna read this part and of course if you wanna uh comment I, I would love for you to comment on it. This is on page one seventeen. One seventeen.
2: Okay,
1: go. It must also be stated during the course of the class struggle for national unity, the enemy government will seek to preserve the legitimacy of the neo They will afford them greater amounts of visibility in the media, become more politically friendly, give larger concessions and authority to command the mode and direction of the struggle. This is why it is so important that revolutionary nationalist forces make their programs for Black community control known amongst the new African people, especially the working class. They must diligently, relentlessly, and vigorously challenge the national bourgeoisie civil rights program as minimal demands, insufficient to the needs of the new African nation. At first, the class struggle may appear to be divisive, but only until lines of demarcation have been drawn between two contending forces and directions in the neo colony struggle for self-determination and independence. Thereby, thereby, class struggle for national unity becomes an essential part of the liberation movement, a fight for black community control, a part in which the particularities of the contradiction of class divisions within the neocolony become a motivating factor by which the principal contradiction between the neocolony and the colonial government becomes acute and antagonistic. And separation independence become the ultimate goal to attain in a revolutionary nationalist struggle between the nationally oppressed and the national oppressor
2: very good, nice reading you read better than me <laughs> <laughs> very very good
1: um
2: uh yes, you know I have put forth a theory called free class theory uh uh free class three safe theory for national independence. And so that is speaking basically to the first class, uh, uh, first phase of the of, of three phase theory. Um, I, I learned earlier on that without, without a theoretical foundation, a revolutionary theoretical foundation, uh, there is it's uh, very difficult to have a revolutionary movement. And so theory, theory precedes practice. If your theory is not together, then your practice is going to be shady. And so what I decided to do, and all of my studies in those you fifty-some know, years or at that time, uh. Well, for thirty years in prison, I decided to uh, write that book and write the uh, three faced theory for national independence and put uh, forth I tried to promote it out there and to have discussion with many academics and intellectuals uh who discussed the issue and some of them who t- sought to uh, put, put together a front a, a national liberation front some years ago. Unfortunately, we didn't have wherewithal to to maintain it but the three phase theory for national independence essentially lays down a foundation. I wish we can understand the, the not only national liberation struggle but the class the uh that is promoted by capitalism uh capitalist imperialism and addressing those kind of issues. So uh that is the, the the basic foundation of the passage that you read. Uh is dealing with the issues of the first phase, class struggle for national unity. Yes,
1: the first phase. Wow, he I, I, I love that. Okay. Um I wanted to move into just because, in the interest of time um, kind of this 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 writing, this work that you're doing now, and able to uh be continue with this movement um maybe in the new epoch, the fifth epoch maybe we are in, um and in relation to the uh prison lives matter. Um, if, if you could just kind of make that connection because I would love for you to talk about the prison lives matter.
2: Yeah, uh comrade of Kwame Shakur and uh um Holt, uh he and I have been in correspondence for several years and uh he um when he found out about the free faced when he found out about the about my book, We are on Liberators, he immediately sought the means to which try to implement some of the principles encapsulated uh, 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 inside that book. And one of the things that he decided that we need to do in terms of the prison movement, as it happened in my experience back in when I was uh, in prison, especially back in the 70s, that we need to build a united front of some form of some uh, where we can speak as forcefully as we possibly can uh, uni- with unity and uniformity. Unity and uniformity. And so uh, Brother uh, uh, Shakur, Comrade Shakur, uh, developed the uh, capacity for which he communicated with many uh, progressive prisoners throughout the country and they developed a, what is called prison lives matter campaign. Now, of course they're piggybacking over the over the, the trends and tendency of uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh and which is, is good. It's good. It's good it's a good slogan. Uh and it's a good means by which we develop a a, a a a foundation by which we can uh, communicate with one another and find those things that are common in regards to our overall struggle. And so uh, Brother Kwame uh, uh is, is developing that a lot, as well as working with me uh, to build a full and front for the liberation of the African nation. Uh, we are working in tandem with one another in those particular areas, and I am uh, uh, glad to see that there are many uh, progressive uh, uh, people incarcerated who have joined uh, prison lives matter, and uh, hailing it as the means by which they can b- themselves become organized as part of the overall struggle, overall movement.
1: Yes, thank you. Me too. Oh, julio I am uh, Kwame Shakur. Is, he is so inspirational, and um, I uh, speaking of that, and one of the ways is he is the one that really um, kind of paved the way, opened it up for me to uh, consider moving on to and then going on the journey of uh, becoming a new African, embracing new Africanism. And um, I would love for you to, uh, if you wouldn't mind, talking about that, about about being a new African and, uh, you know, if you would just talk about that. Somehow. Okay. All
2: right. Uh, let me try, again, I'll try to be as poignant and as as I possibly can. In 1968, uh, 500 revolutionary uh, nationalists uh, met uh, in Detroit um, um, and um, for the purpose of trying to develop a means by which they can uh, divide or separate themselves from the system of white supremacy. Uh, they met at the Church of uh, Reverend Franklin who was the father of uh, 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 Aretha Franklin, Aretha Franklin's dad uh, at a church. And so they met at that church, and they decided that they put together what they called provisional Government of the Republic of New Africa. Uh, we have, the, uh, according to the history, our history uh, in the United States, um, field order number, I have to go back to uh, 1863, 64. Uh, uh General Tucumcari Sherman, 1863. Tucumcari Sherman put together what is called Field Order Number 15. Field Order Number 15 indicated from Saint Johns River, South North Carolina, South Carolina, Saint Johns River, South to the Florida Basin, would be territory that would be granted to African people who are emancipated. And during the course of that time, they began to create their own what we call liberated territory. Uh, Freeman boroughs and, and other means for which they were able to uh, govern themselves, these Africans, uh, emancipated Africans. And so that was, uh, again, uh, uh, what we call a liberated territory of African people during uh, a period of time. So that's history of our own capacity to uh, begin the process of governing ourselves that has been lost in history. Uh, uh, and, and so... Um, uh, these uh, Africans in, in 1968 uh, recognized that history uh, and also an understanding that the, the majority of black people and the majority of the Africans uh, live in the Black Belt South. And so they decided that they were going to carve out this territory as the territory for which uh, we uh, can, can build our own nation um, and be self-governed uh, in the Black Belt South. South Carolina, uh, Alabama, uh, South Carolina, uh, Georgia, Louisiana, Alabama and Mississippi. Um, and so, in, in the process of doing so, um, they began, they organized what they call the Visual of Republic of new Africa. Now, let me go back to the point in terms of this idea of what is a New African. Uh, it's important for us to understand, in terms of who we are as a people uh, in, in the United States, uh, uh, that we are people who come from the, the, primarily from the, the west coast of Africa. And we came to this country or well, we were brought to this country uh from various different tribes and nations. Uh we were Mendinkos and Hausas and Fulas and Igbos and Mendingos and, and, and many other uh tribes and nations who were messenger t- together. Not only were we messenger together uh from off the east coast and also the Arabs, part of the Arabs and, and uh uh north west coast of Africa, uh we also misengenated with the Portuguese, the Dutch of the English, uh of the Spanish who was engaged in the Atlantic slave trade. Not only were we messing with with those with those people, we were also messenger with the, the Arawak, the Tiananos, uh uh the uh, Seminoles, the Cherokee, uh Native Americans, indigenous people of of this land. And so when we come to understanding this 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 messenger nation, to broaden the broader messenger nation, uh we have recognized it as uh, as what we call we identify ourselves as new Africans. Uh, we don't throw away that. We don't throw away that history. We give credence to that history. We give understanding to that history and that cultural development. And that we are, for the most part, the, who are the major people or persons who are able to speak to that history uh based upon what we have endured over four hundred and something fifty years uh uh of uh, of oppression. And so we are as a result of that uh what was imposed upon us. And what we have this acculturation, the messenger nation, we accept this reality in terms of our history and we identify ourselves as new Africans.
1: And I am so grateful for it. I'm telling you, it is one of the most liberating uh concepts that has had has come my way. You know, um I am a, i mixed, right? My mom my so my mom is white, my dad is black, and that's kind of always how it's been. You know, sure. my dad my dad always used to say you're the best of both worlds, right? And I'm yep. thinking, and then it's like, wow. After a while, you start going, yeah, but what does that mean exactly? And so, I just, it, it it's so liberating to to hear about being, you know, to, again, embark on the journey of becoming a new African because it just makes yes. so much more sense. Yeah.
2: my my great grandmother, my great grand, my great grandmother is uh, uh, a Creek, a Muskogee Creek out of Alabama,
1: mm-hmm. right.
2: And so that's that's part of my own heritage as well, uh, and, and many of are, our are black people, are people of, of of color, are, are messing in, in, in this country, mm-hmm. and we do not give credence to that. And, uh, and so for us, new Africans, we give recognition to that reality, uh, we laud it, that reality, and we come to terms with the fact that we need to uh, be self governed or govern ourselves on the basis of our uh, understanding uh, that we that white supremacy is not going away, is not disappearing. And we will no longer be, be have this kind of uh, uh, imposed upon us this idea of who we are or uh, this identity. Uh, they they tried to first of all they try to name us n words, then they name us coons, then they name us negroes, then they name us African African Americans. Uh, uh, when do we go name ourselves? All right, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, we're going to identify our own history and understanding that history and identifying. Or who we are as a people, and so um it comes to that to to that understanding of what these uh, five hundred uh, uh revolutionary nationalists did in nineteen sixty eight uh it's starting to resonate again today. we begin to take hold of our own identity and in so doing liberating ourselves from that uh that that- uh, 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 that uh mentality of of being- uh uh, uh neo-colonial agents or colonial agents. Of, of our own oppression.
1: Yes, thank you so much. Julia, I want to thank you so much for joining me this morning. Um I wanna I want to give you the last word, um, what you would like to to leave the people with. Um so yes, the the floor is yours.
2: Okay, thank you. Um please look online, go to to Jericho uh, national uh uh um uh, website uh, go to spiritofmandela. Uh, org website. Uh, on, on April 23rd, which is Friday, we'll be having our first webinar where we will be talking, uh, speaking to the public, uh, generally to the activist community about what we are seeking to achieve with the International uh, Tribunal of October 22nd to 24th. We need everyone, every activist across the country, to join us in this in this historic uh, determination. Uh, that we are engaged in uh, to bring our struggle to the international community. Uh, it's very important that we do so uh, inasmuch as if we, in fact, are the vanguard, uh, the tip of the spear in uh, 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 fighting uh, capitalist uh, imperialism and white supremacy, then the international community is the rear guard. They are the shaft of the spear. And so we have to build this kind of international solidarity in regards to our struggle, uh, our common struggle against U.S. imperialism, and uh, of white supremacy, uh, wherever it may be found. Uh this is our goal. Our goal is both national and international. And we need to be, begin to think in those kind of terminologies and understanding as did el Hajj Malik Shabazz so adequately uh 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 so adequately uh uh suggested or, or or basically basically told us this is what we need to do. And so uh we need to internationalize our struggle and we're in the process of doing so and we need to get the, the, the activist community to understand why we're doing it and what what is the process for uh, what we seek to achieve. Uh, if we do it right, if we do it right, and I think that we are, uh, soon thereafter uh, we will be filing a, a federal petition into the uh, federal district court uh recharge genocide, and we're going to be try to build towards a national front, what we call the People's Assembly or People's Senate, uh, in, in the United States, alternatives to what now exists to the two uh, political parties that not does not work in the best interest of poor people. does not work in the best interest of people of color in this country. Uh, we are we need to build alternatives existing governing systems. And so we're in the process of trying to do that. Uh, again, we have to change our way of thinking, and in order to change our behavior, right? If thought precedes action, and how we think determines factors of how we're going to act. And if we start thinking in terms of our own liberation, start thinking in terms of our own emancipation, start thinking in in terms of uh, uh, being abolitionists, then we're going to begin to behave in that capacity as well. That is our determination moving forward.
1: Okay. Well, I'm in. Thank you so much, Jaleel. That's beautiful. Um, And uh, hopefully we will talk with you again. And have a beautiful day.
2: I just thank you all for right. the opportunity.
1: Of course. All right. Bye bye. Free them all.
2: Yes,
1: yeah, the free the free them all. Free the land. Peace. Yay. Show people, thank you for joining me. Um
0: so one of the things that Jaleel mentioned is that there's a lot of work to do, and there is always a lot of work to do, but can we do it in joy? Can we do it at in being inspired and encouraged? And, and really motivated to want to do the work that's necessary for our collective freedom, our collective liberation. Um, and there, I also want to point out, in terms of the work and things that you can do besides getting to um, the, uh, the spiritofmandela.org, please go there. Please check out the National Jericho Amnesty Movement uh, website as well. And I want to tell you that there is actually a national a movement to abolish slavery in this country. If you go to abolishslavery.us, there you can join the National Network to Abolish Slavery. The campaign is, or the the um, the coalition is Ab- Abolish Slavery National Network. All right, so. Uh, we can, There are many ways to uh, dismantle this uh, prison-industrial-slave complex. Again, their website is abolishslavery.us. And I would be remiss if I didn't continue to ask you to call the governor the, at 916-445-2841 and demand that he release our elders. As Jaleel said at the end there, free them all. Free the land. Free them all. And uh, our prayers are still going out for Mumia Abu-Jamal as he sits in a hospital room, shackled to the bed, undergoing heart surgery. All right, beautiful people, get ready for work week with Steve Seltzer. Love y'all.
2: to have superpowers, you know?